what would you do if you grew up in a haunted house and couldn't talk about it? You could choose to be scared or you could choose to find answers. When all this research becomes more confusing and also exciting, you have to open up and talk about it. Eventually, everyone starts coming to you with their stories. This is when author John Olson decided to write a book. Stay tuned. Mystery Media presents Destination Mystery, Case File 21. listening to Mystery Media Group. Yay! Tonight we are talking with author John Olson, who wrote Stranger Bridgerland, Beyond Stranger Bridgerland, Stranger West, and Stranger U.S. John was born and raised in Cache Valley. At the age of eight, he began to realize that the home he lived in was peculiar. His parents still own the old farmhouse, built in the mid-1880s. Strange experiences such as phantom knocks, loud boots running the stairs, and missing objects became commonplace for him as he grew up. With each run-in with what he called the man in the hat, John's interest in the paranormal grew. He was forbidden by his parents from telling anyone of his, his experiences for fear of what others in the small community would think. He found solace in learning everything he could about his encounters from library books. As he reached his teen years, his friends would visit his home and have experiences of their own. This opened the door for him to tell others of his experiences. As he shared his extraordinary stories, friends of friends came to him sharing their stories of a brush with the supernatural. Fueled by his own experiences with the unknown, John has spent the last 25 years interviewing and documenting firsthand accounts of those who have witnessed all kinds of strange and unusual phenomenon in the Western United States. The Stranger Bridgerland series contains first-hand accounts of everything from ghosts, monsters and hauntings, to glitches in the Matrix, Sasquatch, and UFOs. If you don't know, John drives a really cool truck, and whenever someone in town sees it, they send me a picture and say, you have to interview this guy. So here he is. Welcome, John. So I first heard about you, John, when I was listening to a podcast and we were driving through Wellsville. And I can't remember if I was listening to Coast to Coast or the Paranormal Podcast, but it was one of those two. And you were on the show and I was like, hey, that's where I live. Like, <laughs> I was like, cool. So I went right home and I got, I ordered the book. It, at the time, you just had the one. Oh, right. And I started reading it and it was, it's really fun to uh, read the stories from around the places that you live. Right. So. Yeah. The first, the, yeah, the first book was all stuff really close by. Um, uh, it was all, you know, I'd been collecting for a long time, but it was all word of mouth at that point. Um, it wasn't until I started doing podcasts that I started getting more stories from all over the place. So. Yeah. And your latest yeah. book is Stranger U.S.? That's the latest one. Yep. is Stranger U.S. number four. 
Um, and that one's got stories, like it says, from all over the United States. So, and it, and it also has some stories from locally as well, because uh, I've been collecting and interviewing people in the Valley since I was about 17. So I still have a ton of, of stories from the Valley that um, I'd like to put in books as well. So, so I grew up here locally. I grew up in Hiram um, and the home that I grew up in uh, was built in 1883 is a really old home. And by the time I was eight years old, me, and I have an older sister and a younger brother. And uh, about that time, we were like, you know what? There's things going on in our house that aren't normal at our friend's house. Um, I grew up in a, in, in, the, in a home that was really paranormally active. Like I said, it was over 100 years old at the time. Now it's quite a bit older than that now. And um, at first, my parents didn't want us to talk about it at all outside of the home. And so that time, I just started reading everything I could and, and just getting into the paranormal and learning about as much as I could about it. And by the time I was a teenager, I would have friends over to the house and they started having experiences and they would ask me what's going on you know, with your house. And I had to admit finally, you know, oh yeah, I grew up in a haunted house and I started telling stories and people, I'd go to parties or double dates and my friends would be like, oh, John's house is haunted. Have him tell you some stories. And after that, um, people started coming to me and saying, oh, I, you know, I heard about your experience. And I guess they felt comfortable sharing their experience with me because of that. And so I just started interviewing people. And, and if I heard a good story, I would do my best to hunt down the person that it happened to. And uh, it, from there, it just kind of grew. Do you find that the more you talk about stuff like this, the more people come to you and they're like, hey, I've had this happen to me. And I've yeah. noticed, yeah, the more open I am, the more people are like, oh, yeah, I've had that happen, too. Yeah, yeah, it's amazing. Um, you know, in fact, just the other day, as some lady approached me and and asked me about it. And and it's the, kind of the same thing. Either they've had an experience or a close relative or something and and they want to tell you this story. And And so, yeah, the more you do it, the more you get people coming to you. So. So does this make you cooler or does this make it so people cross the street so they don't have to pass you? <laughs> you know, it, at, at first, I think it was uh, more of, you know, people looked at me a little funny and I was kind of OK with it because I knew I was right in the head. I knew there wasn't <laughs> anything wrong with me. More fun and interesting, though. <laughs> right. Definitely. You know, it's, it's fun to tell stories at parties and stuff. But I, I think, you know, for some reason. Well, for different reasons, it's becoming more acceptable and, you know, you find more people are having the experiences and, and you get less of those funny looks. So what was your first experience? You know, I, it's hard to pin down the first, very first experience that I had in the house. One of the first ones that I remember is um, from the main level going to the second level up where my bedroom and my brother and sister's bedrooms were um, is a really steep stairs and they actually go up over the bathroom and um at all times of the day and any time at night you could hear heavy boot steps going up the stairs or a kid running up and down the stairs and there wouldn't be anybody there so actually as little kids um talking about it um one of us i think it was my brother started calling it the stair monster because you know when you're a kid you think you know you kind of wanted to relate to something. So um, the bootsteps were definitely one of the first things that I remember happening. The first time I remember seeing a full body apparition, I just come home from school. I was in eighth grade uh, at the time. And I came in and I made myself a sandwich and I went into the front room uh, to watch some TV and I sat down on the couch. And before I could turn on the TV, 
I saw some uh, motion at the edge of the stairs of the front room. And I looked and here's uh, a guy standing there, tall, skinny. He had a white shirt on, um, overalls and a wide brimmed hat. And I could see through him. I couldn't see his facial features, but I could definitely make out the white shirt and the hat and his overalls. And he walked into the room and sat across from me in the rocking chair and started rocking back and forth. And this is the middle of the day, right after school. And I remember closing my eyes and counting to 10. And I opened my eyes and he was gone, but the chair was still rocking back and forth. And so I jumped up and I ran out of the room and uh, went to find my mom. But uh, it was interesting because I come to find out many years later, when my parents actually started sharing their experiences with me, I come to find out that my mother had seen that same apparition several times. And, and a lot of us in the family have seen that at times as well. Did you know who the person was? So Relative, it, maybe? In, yeah, interestingly enough, um, the house, I've done research on the house. And it was, like I said, it was built in 1880. And then in the um, 1920s, teens and 20s, was when a great, great uncle of mine purchased it and started living in it. And um, when my grandma passed away, They only lived a block away from where I grew up, my grandma and grandpa. When my grandmother passed away and we were going through a lot of the old stuff there, um, I opened up a picture book and was just flipping through. And all of a sudden, there's a picture of my house, black and white picture, with a guy standing there with a wide brim hat, Mm. wide over, I mean, overalls and a white shirt, skinny guy. And I about fell out of my chair when I saw it. Oh, bad. And it, it, that was actually a great, great uncle that owned that house. So um, I was able to pin that down that that's one of the spirits that was in the house um, when I was growing up. Did it try to communicate or is it just there? There is some residual stuff that goes on. I think footsteps are just res- residual. But there's definitely interaction. Uh, is a very um, mischievous ghost, whatever you want to say. And it tends to pick on family members that that don't like being picked on the most. I, for example, um, so my parents still live in the house and um, my kids spend a lot of time at grandma and grandpa's house growing up. My oldest son really doesn't like the ghost. Like he re- it really bothers him when something happens. And my mother had bought a snowman and it was about four, four foot tall and it was made out of cloth and then had a sandbag ba- base on it. And she would bring it up for Christmas and Christmas time in the front room. And it tended to move at night to different places. And my son just really did not like that thing even from when he was little. Um, One summer, he was 15, and Grandpa paid him to paint the hallway in the basement. And the basement is where it used to be a family room when I was a kid, but now they keep a lot of uh, storage down there. And um, so my son is in the hallway, and there's only one hallway into the the basement. You come down the stairs, and it's just a really small hallway, and then it's a big room. And my son's got his headphones in, listening to music, and he gets this really creepy feeling. And he pokes his head inside and looks and the snowman's right there staring at him and so he goes in and he picks up the snowman and he puts it in the corner of the room and then faces it in the corner like it's in timeout and he goes back to painting in the hallway and puts his headphones back in about 10 15 minutes later he gets this really creepy feeling again and he turns and looks inside and not only had it turned around but it was about halfway across the room towards him sitting there and he was done he went upstairs and told the grandpa he wasn't <laughs> going to paint one more thing until it was out of the house. So it went out onto the front porch until my mom finally got rid of it. 
I don't blame them. <laughs> no, no. Did your parents have some experiences too? Is that why yeah. they didn't want to talk about it? Um, yeah, I think the, the biggest thing uh, about why they didn't want to talk about it is um, being from a small community. You guys know how it is, um, especially back in the 80s. Mm-hmm. People were really afraid that people were going to talk about, you know, oh, no, the Olsons are crazy. They, they think they have a ghost. <laughs> so it wasn't until later on uh, that my parents finally admitted that they had their own experiences. My mother would at times be working in the bedroom, making the bed. She said this happened uh, more than once. She would be making the bed and out of the corner of her eye, she would see my dad walk in and she'd start a conversation with him. And then when he didn't answer, she would turn and it was that apparition and then it would disappear. The The bathroom that was in the house, um, it originally, it was the only bathroom at the time. And um, it had an entrance from the main room and then an entrance into my parents' master bedroom. And I remember coming home one day and my dad was walling up the side on their bedroom. And I remember asking, you know, why are you closing up that side? And, and basically my dad was like, you know, it's just the way your mother wants it. And so it was really kind of weird to me because I was young at the time and I didn't understand, but I would, I come to find out later that the reason they did it is because they would wake up in the middle of the night sometimes with the door open and somebody standing in the bathroom watching them. And they figured if they walled that up, and close that it would stop happening and and it did but they definitely had their own experiences that would be something freaky to wake up to yeah <laughs> did it bother you living in that house was it a scare you know, the, or you there was crazy? only a couple times like for example when i saw the um that apparition uh i was uh, frightened at the time but oddly enough growing up in it from when i was you know born it never really frightened me. And, you know, even to today, when I have an experience, whether it's visiting my parents or away from wherever, I'm more fascinated with it than, than afraid. Um, when I was a kid, there's only that time and maybe one or two other times that I can think of that I was actually uh, frightened by what was going on. So where's your favorite place to go ghost hunting? Um, you know, you, you would think I do a lot do of ghost hunting. Um, I, every once in a while, I go with a, a couple groups around. The last time I did was actually really fascinating. I went with a group um, from here in the Valley, and we went to the Ellen Eccles Theater. And uh, we were there for about three hours, four hours. And we had some some really fascinating things happen there with, you know, lights going off and voices and, and all kinds of sounds. And uh, I don't know if you guys have ever had a chance to go in there or not, but the Ellen Eccles and then the Eccles house that's on the... Um, the south side of the building is also very haunted. And that was a really fascinating place to go. I've been trying to get in there. Uh, Nobody yeah. will call me back. Oh, no. <laughs> but I it's had on our a bucket list. <laughs> it's on the bucket list. Yeah, definitely. I had an experience there. Um, my kids were in the Les Mis play probably 10 years ago or so. And I volunteered to help with like taking care of them backstage to keep them quiet, make sure they got on stage when it was their cue and stuff. And we were on the very top floor in the back. It was time for them to go on stage. So I'm like, okay, guys, let's go. They all start heading down the stairs. And I'm in the back making sure everybody got down. And I hear a giggle behind me from the room that we just came from. And I was like, I thought I grabbed everybody. And I went back there to like yell at whoever didn't follow me down. And nobody was there. And there's only one entrance. So, you know, and then later I went on one of the ghost walking tours in Logan. And they talked about the little girl that passed away in that theater. And I was like, oh, my gosh, yeah. I think I might have heard her. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> that's cool. That is cool. Yeah, it's definitely an interesting place for sure. I, I want to get in there. We, we <laughs> like paranormal stuff. 
I'm more into Bigfoot, and you can tell Melissa she likes aliens. Oh, right. So I'm going to start with my question about Bigfoot. Have you seen a Bigfoot? I have not, but that is on my bucket list. Um, I've interviewed a lot of people. I've interviewed a lot of people that have seen Bigfoot, and quite a few here in the Valley. Um, it's uh, interesting. I know you guys uh, talked with John uh, from uh, Cash Valley Bigfoot. Yep. And he's he's one that I've that I've interviewed and talked to, and it's really interesting because you guys know um, Beaver Mountain from Beaver Mountain and around up to the top. Um, I've interviewed several people who've had uh, encounters in that area, and they didn't even know that other people have had encounters in that area. So you have Beaver Mountain and around through the sinks and then up through the top by um, Bear Lake. And that seems to be a real hot spot, I know, in the valley. So um, I think John had his first encounter around the Beaver Creek. Beaver Lodge. Creek, yeah. Yep. 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 He he let me put one of his stories from there in, in uh, I think it's my first book. Yeah, so. it's the first one. And that's one of my favorite stories. I love that one. Mm-hmm. So it's a good but one. Never seen one, but my younger, well, both of my sons, we love to go in the mountains all the time. And um, one time, my, me and my youngest were up uh, shed hunting, looking for deer sheds. And we came across some tracks. They weren't good enough to make prints because they weren't in soft mud. But you could see where uh, a large creature on two feet had come down the hill and um, gone along the foot, uh, along the side of the hill. And uh, way too big for human tracks with the length and the size of the foot. So. I would say that's the closest I've ever came so far, at least as far as I know. I've I've also been in the mountains and known later that I was really close to a mountain lion and never knew it until yeah. later. So you yeah. never know how close you are, which, yeah, it's kind of scary, but fun at the same time. What was your favorite Bigfoot story that you... So definitely John's, uh, the one at Beaver Creek Lodge, uh, is, is definitely one of my favorites uh, with the interaction and it banging on the back of the building um right near that, that area cabin one yeah uh beaver creek lodge. Cabin. yeah where the yep uh, guests saw it and then decided to leave <laughs> yeah shortly thereafter not too far from that um i interviewed a, a woman and her and her uh husband at the time they were on uh they were just uh, traveling in a jeep on the back roads and it was getting closer to dark and they pulled up and and just about a hundred yards, maybe a little less from them. There was a man standing there in black. And all of a sudden she, I said, was it really big? And she said, no, it was only about five foot tall, about the size of a, a regular man. But when we stopped, it all of a sudden jumped in the tree, the pine tree next to him and shimmied right to the top, just really fast. And it was at that point, they realized that wasn't a, a man that they saw. Um, they could see it kind of peeking at them from the top of the tree. And uh, as it got darker, they didn't want to be out there any longer and they ended up leaving. But my, my belief is that it was a juvenile. She said, I've never seen anything climb that fast. And it went right up to the top of that pine tree where it could hide and, and keep an eye on them. Uh, that's that's a really good one. I, I love that one too. I really wish we could see something like that. <laughs> <laughs> I know that's me too. So most of my experiences with ghosts and that kind of thing, but I love UFO stories. They're my favorite. What's your favorite UFO story? So what I like about this is actually two stories, but they corroborate each other. Um, I interviewed a gentleman uh, that came to me, and he. Uh, worked in um, Idaho Falls, 
and he was going to school and he was a parts deliverer. Um, he would deliver uh, mechanical parts all over uh, for this little company. And one uh, Thursday night, he was just about to get off and his boss called him in and said, hey, they need a part in Jackson Hole, Wyoming tonight. And his boss was like, if you go deliver it, you can have Friday off. I'll pay you for Friday. You know, I'll even pay for your hotel room in Jackson Hole. And he, you know, he jumped at the chance. And so he just uh, threw the part and his bedroll in the back of his truck, drove to Jackson Hole, had dinner. And then he's like, you know, I'm going to try and get as close back as I can and just sleep in the back of my truck and, and save some money and from staying the night. And so he was... Uh, he got to Tin Cup, which is a canyon uh, between Jackson Hole and going back towards Idaho, and um, threw his bedroll and went to sleep. And in the middle of the night, he gets woken up to this hum. His whole cabin of his, or the inside of the back of his truck is lit, lit up. And he climbs out the back, and uh, less than 100 yards from him, there is a, uh, a triangle-shaped uh, UFO, not real big, um, and there's a beam of light coming from the bottom of it into the little uh, stream that goes by. And there's wa- it's sucking water up through the beam. And he's standing there just looking at it. And he wasn't sure how long he, st- he stood there staring at it. And all of a sudden, the beam went off. The hum stopped. But it, he was close enough that he heard the water fall back into the river. And it sat there for a minute. And then all of a sudden, it started moving. And then, boom, it was gone. And he was just dumbfounded by this. And so he just drove. He couldn't go back to sleep. He was freaked out like you would be and drove home. Got him very interested in UFOs. But what I find really fascinating about that is I interviewed a gentleman actually before I even interviewed him that had the exact same thing happen up uh, at the very top of Blacksmith Fork. The only difference was he was in his camper and it happened and it was a round UFO, a small round UFO. But it was sucking water up exactly the same way with a beam. It shut off. He heard the water splash and uh, then it took off. The only difference is 80 miles, 80 miles difference, 15 years different. And these guys didn't know each other and really hadn't shared their story with many other people. But exactly the same thing happened. Uh, and I just I it, it was kind of gave me chills when I got the second story because, you know, I hadn't written the other story at that point. So but those are two of my favorites because they tell the same story, but they're separate people. And that makes you think, okay, these guys are pretty credible because they don't know each other. Right. And they're telling the same story. Telling the exact same story. So yeah. And, and it's funny when I was interviewing the one guy and the hair is just going on the back of my neck when he's telling me this, because I'm like, I just, I talked to a guy that had the exact same experience. So and it's and it was really rare. Uh, as far as I know, those are the only two I know of where they were taking water out of something. Um, I've heard of heard of them um, using power sources, yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, maybe some of them use water as a power source. Who knows? Maybe That's crazy. it's possible. Yeah, I've never heard of that story before where they're sucking water. Yeah. That's new to me. Yeah, yeah, and I hadn't. Other than those two people, I had never heard of that before. So I want to see that too. Yeah, I, I, I do want, too. I don't want to be super close, but <laughs> right, to see it. exactly, exactly. The safety of my vehicle. <laughs> yes. Yep. That is so true. How did you get interested, or what gave you the idea to put these stories into a book? So, um, interestingly enough, I've been collecting them forever. 
And I, I uh, got remarried about, um, I guess, five and a half years ago. And my wife, uh, the, you know, I, I kind of had to explain to her what I was doing with all of these stories. And she looked at me and she said, you know, what are you going to do with all these stories? And I'm like, well, I'm going to make a book someday. And she's like, no, you're going to do it now. She was so supportive. So, (laughs) so five years ago, I I started the first one and she helped me so much with it. And she's been so supportive through all of it. Um, Something I hadn't experienced. I, I almost had to hide it before. Um, just because of different things that were going on. But yeah, um, she was a big influence in helping me get it going. And and once the first one came out, I've been able to compile and interview and, and have one come out every year since. And I'm, I'm now working on number five right now. So that's that's a big thing to have somebody that supports you and loves you. And especially when it's something kind of weird, you know I'm what strange. I mean? <laughs> I know that. So Mike and I have been wanting to put together um, a Case Files books, a book of our different adventures and investigations and stuff. What would you recommend to us how we get started? So um, the biggest thing is just sit down and start. Um, you'd be amazed at how, you know, when you, when you set time apart to sit down and, and start writing, the, writing them up, going through your notes. It, for me anyway, it's almost like when I get started on the next one, it just takes me a little while, you know, maybe a month to gather everything and get going. But as soon as I start writing, it's just almost like a, a, a waterfall gets going. So the best thing to do is just start, start writing, start, you know, getting it going. And, and you, when you get going, don't worry too much about your grammar and stuff like that. Um, that'll all get fixed with rewrites and stuff. It's just about getting it out, going through your notes. For me, like when I interview people and I write uh, notes or record the session and um, just get it down on paper, then it starts cleaning itself up. What are a few of the most haunted places here in Northern Utah and in like Southeast Idaho? I, I love Logan Canyon has got to be one of the most haunted places. Um, I have a lot of stories up there and there's a lot of places up there that are just super spooky. There's umpteen different places up Logan Canyon that, that are haunted as well. Hecate, which I wrote about somebody who had an experience with them of obviously the nunnery, which, you know, you can't go there without permission, but it's also definitely haunted. Um, in my last book during the summer last year, the comet, and I always forget the name of it, but um, I interviewed a gentleman uh, who contacted me, him and uh, his buddy went up Logan Canyon to um, film the comet. And while they were doing that, they were basically chased out of the area by a giant orb that came down the hill and freaked them out. So Logan Canyon, uh, the witch tree, which you guys know about, uh, is, it's kind of a fascinating place. Oddly enough, every time I try and find it, I get disoriented up there and can't find it. That's when I, I got to mark down. I don't it's, know that I'd be able to find it again. Yeah, it's weird, that. isn't it, that it disappears mm-hmm. like that. Um, <laughs> it doesn't disappear, but it just is so hard to find. Again, Utah State has a ton of ghosts on there uh, from the weeping lady at the cemetery. One of the um, sorority is very haunted up there, the one that's directly across from. The yeah, I know exactly which one you're talking about. Yep, that one's really haunted place boy i could almost go on and on but uh oh old main i one of my books i was able to interview somebody who had been a janitor at old main and all of the ghosts that are in old main there's a there's a young woman in the basement who's dressed like one of the um an old time uh, librarian uh with black petticoat and she's always in a hurry but very nice she was hurrying down the hall and 
and said hi to her and then passed her and then was gone. And when she asked her coworkers, they're like, oh yeah, that's the librarian. She's oh, wow. always in a hurry wherever she's going. So there's a lot. I There's quite a few. What about Southeast Idaho? Do you know of any cool places up there? There are a few. I'm trying to remember, um, trying to remember exactly. I know that there has been Bigfoot sightings down there as well in Southeast Idaho. I did get a chance. This isn't Southeast, but a couple of years ago, my wife and I were able to go visit the Idaho State Penitentiary in Boise. That was really fascinating. Mm-hmm. And that's definitely one. I, I have a, in one of my books, a story about an older home that's been turned into apartments by ISU. Uh, Idaho State is very haunted um, uh, by an old a gentleman with heavy boots and, and knocking on walls. And it's a it's all women that uh, stay in the apartment. And so it's women contracts. They have their own room. But, you know, the downstairs is the common area and everything. And uh, she had everything from people knocking and trying to get into a room in the middle of the night. And that was definitely a very scary one as well. So do you have a story, the craziest, most unbelievable story that nobody would believe? But Yeah. So the one that falls into that category for me, and I, I, it's really interesting because um, well, I'll, I'll, I'll tell you the story and then I'll explain to you what happened recently. Um, in this story, there was a gentleman that I interviewed. Uh, he had moved to the Valley. He'd come to visit a friend when he was in his twenties, fell in love with the area because he was an outdoorsman and loved to hike and camp and rock climb. He and a buddy were supposed to hike to Mount Naomi. And, um, even though it's a quick hike, they, they wanted to bring their, their bedrolls and, and spend the night up there near Mount Naomi. And at the last moment, his buddy canceled on him being in his twenties and being, you know, you're indestructible in your twenties. You don't worry about anything. So he decided he's going to go on his own. It's August and at the time, and there's a burn ban. So he just takes food that he can eat, um, cold food. So he hikes up there, um, gets near Mount Naomi and, and decides he's going to camp, gets off the path, puts out his bedroll and, you know, watches the stars, eats his cold dinner. And he, he has his headlamp and he, al- he always brings a book uh, with him, an old ratty book, he said, to read. Uh, help him get some sleep. And so he reads his book for a while and goes to bed. He wakes up in the middle of the night and he's a heavy sleeper. So he wakes up and he's not sure what woke him up. Um, It's dead still up there. And uh, he's trying to figure out what's going on. And all of a sudden he catches something whistling at him. And, and it's really weird. It's not a bird and it's not a bird he'd ever heard. And all of a sudden he's trying to figure this out and he's trying to find his headlamp and he can't find his headlamp. And he's slipping his boots on. And as he's slipping his boots on, he gets hit in the chest with a little rock about the size of a quarter and not hard, but just tossed at him. And then the whistling starts again. And at this point, he realizes he's still wearing his headlamp. So he flips it on and he turns and about 15 feet from him, 15, 20 feet from him, there was a rock pile. If you're aware of the area, nothing but big trees grow up at that that range. There's not a lot of bushes because it's so high up. Sitting on this rock pile is a creature. It's grayish green. It's got pointy ears, a pointy nose. He said it's if it was standing up, it wouldn't even be quite four feet tall. Um, hair didn't have any hair on its body, and it's wearing like an old ratty shirt and some sort of ratty pants, just ragged. And he's just in shock. Um, when he's explaining this to me, what comes to my mind is in Harry Potter, the, the creatures that run the bank 
you know, with the pointy nose and the pointy everything. And I was thinking. Yeah, that's, that's exactly what came to my mind. He's looking at it and it's got his hands, you know, covering its eyes because he's got his flashlight on his headlamp. And he is not sure how long he's staring at it because he's literally in shock because he's like, it, you know, this something like this isn't supposed to exist. And at this point, he sees it's moving its hand and he looks and he realizes that it's got his book in his hand and it snaps into his mind that this creature has been close enough to steal the book from him. And uh, he freaks out. He just sweeps up his bedroll, grabs his stuff and starts running towards the trail. He trips, dumps everything, gathers it up. And as he's gathering it up to run, the creature starts whistling again and he gathers it up. And runs, you know, runs all the way back to his car, losing all of his stuff, gets in his, his truck, I think it was, and and just drove home. And, you know, when he's telling me this story, I'm, I'm like, you know, I've heard of a lot of things, but I've never heard of anything like this in my life. And, um, but the, when he's telling me this and he's, and, you know, I looked, you know, talked to some people, he's a very, you know, credible person. He's all there. This is the only experience he's ever had. I decided to put it in my book because it's just such a fantastic story. I love it. So fast forward to last summer. So that was a couple books ago. I had a lady come to me and she said, oh, you know, are you John Olson? You know, is this your book? And I said, yeah. And she goes, oh, I loved your book. I got to tell you, I loved uh, Trolled on Mount Naomi, which is the name of that story. And I said, well, thank you. And she goes, it's kind of interesting because my husband for years and years told me that he was hunting on Mount Naomi and came across a creature and, and he explained it exactly like the one that was in your book. And I didn't believe him until I read your story and realized that he's not the only one that's seen that creature. And I was just kind of like, wow, somebody else has seen this this creature. And I related it to Pogwaji, which is a Native American creature that are these little creatures that live in the forest. They love to steal things. They're really mischievous, kind of violent at times. But um, that's that's one that I definitely was, it seems way out there, but I've had somebody corroborate right. the story, which is amazing. And like I said, when I was interviewing the guy, you could tell the fear in his voice. And it had been years and years and years since this happened. Yeah. And he was still afraid of it, you know, afraid of that night. So the other thing I was thinking of is there are a lot of UFO sightings around Mount Naomi. Yeah. Maybe, it's, maybe it's an alien. Who knows? Yeah. Who knows? Who knows if they're all connected it's somehow? Coming to gather some water or something. It's something crazy <laughs> like that. You don't know. Yeah. Melissa, does it remind you of what Lauren keeps? Maybe. My daughter had a couple experiences with very similar. It was more whitish, but similar rake creature we were in a cave and we thought we saw or somebody thought we saw one and we all saw something white sitting on a corner and they ran from that cave <laughs> oh, i bet i bet i uh i interviewed a gentleman um uh who had an experience with um it was either rake or a windigo um in the sierra nevadas um, pale creature like that in the middle of the night. So yeah, that's that's one that I love hearing about, but it's really rare, but really very creepy. In my experience with doing, you know, when I hear something, like when I interviewed that gentleman and I wanted to try and find something to connect it to, so I went through Native American folklore and, and found uh, the Pogwaji, which were, you know, explained exactly like he said. Um, it's fascinating to me that all over the world, they have encounters with creatures like that. 
they might have different names for them. And the folklore in some places may be a little bit different, but, you know, cultures that are worlds apart, running into the same creatures with the same kind of things, I, it's, it's, I, there's no coincidence. You there's know what I mean? There's gotta be something, yeah. Um, so tell us where we can find your books. So uh, you can find them all on Amazon. They're both in the softback uh, version or Kindle version. I am currently trying to get them all on Audible. Uh, I have two on Audible right now, the first one and Stranger West. And um, I am working to get Stranger US and Beyond Stranger Bridgeland on. They hopefully, cross my fingers, will be up in a couple months. That'll be awesome. I listen to audiobooks a lot. I also like having the book form just because I can highlight and mark pages and stuff. Right. I do that too when I yeah. read. So <laughs> so um, you said you had another project in the works, book number five. Book number five. Again, it'll be stories from all over the U.S. Don't have a name for it yet. I'm kind of racking my brain of what to do with that. But yep, and that should be out again in July or August. So that'll be fun. And people can visit you at uh, strangerbridgeland.com, correct? Yep. Get all the information. And if anybody wants to contact me, that's a good way to do it as well. Thank you so much for having me on. It's been a lot of fun. I appreciate it. You guys do an awesome job. Thank you. We Well, we have no idea what we were doing when we first started, <laughs> but we eventually started learning stuff and we've grown now to like 19 countries. And I mean, we have a, quite a few listeners, so it's been, it's been a journey and it's been fun and we've awesome. learned a lot, met some really fun people and... Now you're one that we can add to our list. That's right. Definitely. And, and I want to have you sign my books at some point. Oh, awesome. I would love to. <laughs> okay. Destination Mystery is a production of Mystery Media Group. You can find our podcasts on Apple, Spotify, Google Podcast, iHeartRadio, and wherever you listen to podcasts. If you enjoy our show, please like, subscribe, and leave a five-star review. We will be introducing other Mystery Media Group guests in our upcoming episodes, along with weekly bonus material. If you'd like to see more pictures and evidence from our adventures, visit www.destination-mystery.com. You'll find a link to our blog, as well as a link for merch and contact information. Until next time, find your own destination. Solve the mystery. This is a production of Mystery Media Group. Yay!